Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 11. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. That's Jesus. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it a little bit later. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Thank you, Cynthia. Well, good morning. I live under a curse that I call the Jimmy Brown curse our youth pastor that I get to spend time with. We, we go out to uh, lunch periodically as I get the joy of uh, being his elder and just walking through life with him. But he has placed a curse on me when it comes to going to lunch. And we, uh, we select different restaurants occasionally. And we went out the first time we went out. He chose, uh, he chose the restaurant. And it was a rib, uh, rib place in town. And I was very, very hungry and excited to get some ribs and, and, uh, and just enjoy lunch together. We get in there, and there's maybe uh, three other tables in the whole place. It's not very busy at all. And we're sitting there, and then another couple comes in, and they sit next to us. And, and all of a sudden, uh, a few minutes later, they get their, they get their food. And kind of like, excuse us, um, are our ribs coming? And, oh, let me run back to the kitchen. And he comes back out, and he's all, uh, he's all sorry about that. The uh, the order got misplaced. Well, that's no problem. Time keeps going by and keeps going by, and and uh, excuse me, are are ribs coming? He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. He goes, uh, we're backed up in the kitchen, and. <laughs> I look around the restaurant, literally there's three other tables in the whole restaurant. The kitchen's backed up, and uh, no, no, the ribs, the ribs are coming. Uh, finally, they come out, and uh, they were totally uh, dry, and just really some of the, the worst ribs I ever had. I couldn't really eat them. They were just too chewy and dry and, and uh, awful, and we uh, left totally unsatisfied uh, from that place. And, 
And again, as we walked out, we cursed, we cursed the fig tree uh, on the way out. So we go, we go to lunch, and again, we'll, each time we'll like, you get to select this week, I select the next. So I, he selected a couple weeks later, and, and we, we typically go to this place, but uh, this week he selected it. And, and we get there, and uh, they have a really good salmon, and I really like salmon, and so I'm so excited about the salmon. And, and uh, we sit down, and I'm super hungry, and, and we get there, and uh, say, oh, I love this salmon that you guys make, this is my favorite. And they're like, oh. We're so sorry. There's no salmon today. Oh, there's no salmon. You always have salmon. No salmon today. I'm all, what happened? Oh, the truck on the way blew a tire. And uh, so we didn't get the salmon today. So you don't get any salmon. So we left uh, totally unsatisfied and uh, cursed the fig tree. He's the Jimmy Brown curse on me. We've had several other episodes I won't go into, but it's, uh, it's upon us and we're praying that it'll be relieved. Jesus, Jesus was uh, hungry, and he uh, left uh, unsatisfied with what was going on in his city and with his people. And that's my prayer this morning for us, that we will understand how, how can we, as people, and how is the Lord Jesus Christ, how is he satisfied? What can we do, and what will it take to satisfy his hunger? For us as a people. So let's pray that this morning. Father, I just pray this morning that you will be present. I pray that you do uh, open our eyes to this passage about what it means to uh, be satisfied. That we can see your hunger that you have for us as a people. And Father, we want to be uh, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto you. And so we pray that this morning. Uh, Touch us with your word. May your Holy Spirit uh, do his work this morning in our midst. In your precious name, amen. Well, what is Jesus hungry for? He's still training his disciples. And he's longing for them to see that the kingdom of God is at hand and what that looks like. And who he is, he rides in the day before, as we talked about last week, on a donkey. And, and he rides in not as king of war, but as king of peace bringing peace to his people, shalom and rest, longing to, to speak to his people that I come not to crush the Romans, I come to actually do battle on your soul, on your hearts, and to bring you peace. He wants the disciples and he wants those who know him to see that. Jesus is hungry and he's looking for fruit. But Jesus cannot find any. He can't find any on this tree. And so, as Jesus goes and he sees the fig tree at a distance and he looks for the fruit and finds none, he gets, in what we would do modern vernacular, he gets hangry. Hungry, angry at what's going on. And he curses the tree. I'm not sure <clears throat> excuse me, why Jesus hates fig trees so much, but he curses this tree in the middle of it. Have you guys ever seen these Snickers commercials going on? And it talks about individuals who are getting hungry, and it, it says, uh, you're just not yourself when you're hungry. And I think that's kind of what's going on with Jesus. 
it seems kind of out of character. Like, Lord, what are you doing here? Uh, why would you curse this fig tree and what's going on? As we look at this whole passage, is it, is it really dealing with Jesus' physical hunger? Is the passage really driving home, hey, Jesus got hungry and the fig tree didn't provide? What's the story really all about? And I, I want to suggest to you as we look at this passage that it's an incredible passage, uh, not dealing with his physical hunger, but with his spiritual hunger for us as a people. For his people in the city, for the Jews and for the temple. I think it's a physical illustration of, of what is going on, what's manifesting around him. That this miracle he does, and it really is a miracle, even though a small miracle, where he curses it, the next day it's totally withered and dead to the roots. And what's he trying to show us as he, as he curses this fig tree? What's the spiritual truth that he has for us? I think it's spiritual he rode in on the donkey. And, it, and if you remember from last week, he, he rode in at verse 11. He goes down into the city. And as he rides in, he enters into the city. And, and this, is at, this is what we call the triumphal entry. And the big celebration, people are crying out, Hosanna. And then he shows up into the city at the end of the parade, so to speak. It's not triumphant at all. And does everybody greet him in the city? All of the leaders and everybody's excited to see Jesus? No, nobody greets him. Nobody comes to meet Hosanna in the highest. Save us, the one who will be the Messiah. He shows up, he looks around the city, and then he goes back to Bethany. There's something spiritual that's going on. Jesus comes out of of Bethany. It's about a two-mile distance And the reason I think this is a spiritual conversation is because, I mean, truly, did Jesus miss breakfast that morning? You know, as he's walking uh, from Bethany to Jerusalem, it's not too far. And all of a sudden, oh, he's super hungry. I don't think so. I think he's trying to point us to something about his hunger for us spiritually. And again, he's hungry, and the scriptures say this, it wasn't the time for fig trees to produce their fruit. Why is Jesus angry at a fig tree that's not in season, really, to produce fruit if this isn't a spiritual message to us? An illustration to understand what what he has for us on a deeper level. It wasn't the season, and it doesn't seem it would be characteristic you get mad at the fig tree. So it's a wonderful lesson for us. You see, the fig tree has the appearance of, of actually bearing fruit. The, the truth about fig trees is they, uh, the fruit and the leaves kind of come out at the same time. And so if you see leaves uh, on a fig tree, you could have the assumption that there would be some sort of fruit. Maybe not the full fruit uh, that comes, but maybe some sort of, of budding fruit. There might be. You would think he would find something but he finds absolutely nothing. He doesn't even find the, the first budding fruits that would say there's going to be more fruit to come. He finds nothing. And so he curses the fig tree. Well, what does the fig tree symbolize? 
What's it all about? Hosea 9 speaks to this. It says, Like grapes in the wilderness I found Israel, like a first fruit on the fig tree. In its first season I saw your fathers. Israel was a symbol. The fig tree was a symbol of Israel. And the temple, its temple, was a symbol of what the fig tree represented. The Lord enters in. And here's the truth about about the temple. It had all of the signs of spiritual life. But they were bearing no fruit. They were keeping the law. They were keeping all the commandments. They were carrying on their temple ceremonies. They were observing all the feasts that were going on. But they were not bearing fruit. They had all the signs. But really all they were doing was checking the box. And I think that happens to us in our spiritual journey. And one of the things that the Lord, I think, is asking us this morning is, is are we bearing fruit? Spiritual fruit. Are our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, are we bearing fruit? Because if Christ is in you, and if you're remaining in the vine, like John 15 says, then you will bear fruit. And Jesus is looking for that. He's a fruit inspector. He really is. And he wants that from us. He doesn't want us just to come here on Sunday mornings and then check the box and say, I've done my spiritual duty for the day. Like Steve prayed this morning that this would just be a starting point of our whole week filled with Christ in serving and loving and seeking Him. Are you bearing fruit? Because Jesus is looking. And He wants you to have His life. He wants you to remain in the vine. Again, the people, the chosen ones, looked like they were going to offer it. Israel was supposed to be that place and the temple was supposed to be that place that you show up And we will be shown the way. We will see God here. We will draw closer. And all they were drawn closer to as they came to visit the temple was spiritual bondage, really. All this legalism and all these rules, and then they're being ripped off in the temple. That's what's going on in the temple. And so Jesus curses the tree, a symbol of Israel in the temple. And he lays that upon them. The way this passage is looked at is, as you look at it, it's, a, it's set up kind of as a, as a fig sandwich. You have The figs are the outside layers. And you have the fig tree, and then you have the temple, and then you have the fig tree. So what happened in the temple when Jesus enters in, and we'll look at that in a minute, is closely associated with, with what he's speaking to about the fig tree. So I want you to see that connection. It's a fig sandwich here that we're entering into. His hunger is for spiritual fruit, and Jesus is not satisfied. Just like the barbecue place. And so he judges the fig tree, and it doesn't bode well for Israel. And now he seems to get more hangry as we enter into verse 15. Now here's one of the things that I want to understand about Jesus and anger in general. You go, man, this is, this is, he's getting pretty hot here. But you know what? Jesus and anger, and again, Jesus never sinned, right? So 
whatever type of anger he displays, which I don't even think it's, it's this uh, anger like we consider. You know, he, he went into the city the day before, really looked around. Everything in his actions were very purposeful. I'm going to come in, I'm going to demonstrate what God has for my people. It's not an anger like we consider, that he's just boiling over, can't control himself. Actually, he's the only one who could control himself. He's a lion that could have ripped everything open, but he came in meek. But he also laid out truth about what God has. God wants his people to draw near. God wants his temple, his place of worship, to be welcome for everybody. So let's, let's look at, uh, I didn't have Cynthia read this part because I wanted to read it to you. Look at verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area. He began driving out those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill Jesus, and they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. The temple, the purpose and the place that was to be a place of worship, welcome to everybody, a place where you could come and and your sins are forgiven as you offer sacrifice. A place where you would draw near to God who wants relationship with us. That's what the temple was supposed to be. Now it's the season of Passover, right? Thousands upon thousands are coming to worship God, to have their sins forgiven, to remember and celebrate this time where the Lord has delivered them from Egypt. It's supposed to be a place of worship and renewal. It was meant to be a place of prayer for all, for every single one. A place that that bore fruit. Now, one of the things you can't miss is my house. Is it not to be called a place of prayer for all of the nations, all of the people? That's for everybody. All there means all. All nations means all the people that God has created. Is not my house supposed to be that place? Basically, what he's saying, is not everybody welcome here? And you need to know this morning that the Lord welcomes you. The Lord welcomes you right where you're at. Right in the middle of your mess. You think maybe you can out God uh, in his love for you? No, there's no sin that's beyond his reach of love for you and forgiveness. You're welcome here this morning. He wants the gathering and the place of God, what we call church. He wants this place to be a place where you know you're loved. And I just want to tell you, you are. And welcome. And come and and receive all of God's forgiveness and receive His life. He welcomes you this morning as we deal in a culture that has all kinds of nationalities coming into our country and, and all around the world. The church, the church family is to be a place for all. To seek God. 
to seek salvation, to seek life. And may we never hinder that, truly. But the people are being kept away from worshiping God. Is this place a place of prayer? It's become a a place of uh, robbers, a den of robbers. And he's quoting Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah lays out a prophecy. And he basically says, people of Israel, you come into my place and you're, you're offering worship to Baal. You're, you're worshiping false idols here in my place. And then you come and stand before me in this house. And you say, we're delivered. They would come to the temple nowhere near God. And yet use the temple as a place of protection, really. A den of robbers, think about it. It's a place where you hide out. They're really hiding out from God in the temple. It's become this den of robbers. You've you've made a mockery of it. You've stolen from the people. And in this temple, you put your trust here. You think, this is where I can have safety. But there will be, all of this will be destroyed. Robbers is a is a pretty strong word. It's it's kind of like uh, those who are insurrectionists, those who are uh, attacking against. And so picture that. My house, which is supposed to be a place of prayer for all, where everybody's welcome, has become a den of robbers. One, you're ripping the people off. You're charging them all this extra money for their doves to the poorest of poor who could barely afford anything to offer as a as a guilt offering. They're ripping them off. And so some people couldn't even afford to buy the offering. They would say their dove isn't pure enough. It had blemish. And so people literally were not able to come in and worship. Can you picture that? And can you picture God who all of his, his life, as he's been showing us throughout his, his word, his life with his people, has been all about, I want you to be able to draw near. I want you to be able to draw near. That's why he sent his son, right? I want you to be able to enter into relationship with me. I sent my son because of my amazing love for you. It's from the history of time. The whole Bible is a love story of that story of Jesus. They're keeping them away. These, these, they're coming in arms. They're basically taking up arms against the Gentiles. Those who are coming in. Yeah, Gentiles, again, is everybody who's not a Jew. Den of robbers. Jesus is looking for fruit. He's looking for life. He's looking for obedience. Look at verse 16. It's amazing what he does here. It's an incredible story of God's holiness. And really, it is, it is his strong wrath. It's a righteous, a righteous wrath against those who would keep people away from the Lord. Look at verse 16. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. That's not just merchandise. He wouldn't allow anybody to carry anything through the temple courts. That's, that's all the sacrifice. All the things that were being offered for sacrifice. Jesus stopped it. Right there. That's a power play of God in the middle of his temple. No, you've turned this place into a place of robbers. You've, you've, you're worshiping other idols. You think this is a place of safety that you can hide out. 
It has no fruit here. And so he turns up the tables and verse 6, he stops all this taking place for worship and sacrifice. Jesus. Because why? Because he's going to be the sacrifice. There will no longer be need for this. There's going to be a whole new relationship. There's a new kingdom that is being established. And it's not going to look like this temple looks now. I'm going to be the sacrifice. I want you to see it. I'm not going to allow my temple to be a place that's desecrated, a place that is is shown to be keeping people away from me. I'm going to be the way, the truth, and the life. And everybody who believes in me can come to the Father through me. And so he stops worship. Starts to show that the offering of forgiveness of sins is a part from the ministry of the temple. And then he leaves that place. Everybody's threatened by him because they're scared of who he is and what he's doing. And he goes to the fig tree. Second time in this fig sandwich. Look at this. So in the morning, so the next day, they went along and they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said, Jesus, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. You know what kind of surprises me about this this passage is that Peter's surprised. Peter's been walking with Jesus, what, for a couple weeks? No, for three years. Peter's been experiencing all kinds of miracles and power of God and and teaching of, of the Lord. And he's surprised. He heard Jesus curse the tree. And he's taken aback that it's withered to the roots. God is powerful. God's work, even though this is a small miracle compared to everything that he's done, Jesus has authority and power over that. And then look at verse 22. It's an odd verse. You go, how does this fit in the middle of all this? So he, he's hungry. He speaks. He wants fruit. Can't find any there. Goes to the temple to find fruit, life. Can't find any there. Comes back. And, and again, is teaching his disciples about this new kingdom. Looking for fruit. And the disciples are, Peter is surprised by this. And he says this, after, after all of this scene about the fig tree. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. It's kind of, it's an odd statement, isn't it? What? Jesus, we're talking about the the fig tree here. It's withered to the roots. Have faith in God. What are you you saying to me? And let me tell you this. uh, This passage is a difficult passage. It's difficult in really trying to understand where the Lord is taking his disciples uh, and and helping them to understand who he is. Uh, Quite honestly, many commentators... uh, 
they, they have different perspectives on where this passage is going. Um, but I'm going to try to take a stab at it uh, in the middle of, of big context of what Jesus is doing uh, in establishing his kingdom. And that's what we can't miss. Jesus is establishing his kingdom. It doesn't look anything like we thought it would, right? I thought you were going to be king of war, come in, wipe out the Romans. That's not what you did. Lord Jesus, I thought you were going to you know, establish, we want to sit at your, your, your side, we want to be part of this awesome kingdom that you have. He says, no, no, it's not about being great, it's about being servant. It's nothing that we think it's going to be. So I want you to, to, to start to think in terms of this, this kingdom of Jesus and then this new relationship with God. It's going to be nothing like you've ever experienced before. It's a new relationship, and I want you to see it. I want you to understand how you can be in a love relationship with the living God. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want you to miss it here. Have faith in God. You know, here's the deal on this passage. and A lot of uh, churches throughout the nations, they take this and it starts to become a, a name it and claim it passage. Hey, if you just name it, if you have a situation and you just pray fervently and you name it, you claim it, you'll have victory over that. You, you have that alcohol, you just say, I, I defeat this alcohol, and it's done. I name it and claim it. And there's a lot of places who do that. And they use this. Look, the Lord says, hey, ask for anything. Hey, you can move mountains. I'll do anything that you ask of me in my name. We get the prosperity gospel from this passage. But with that, you have to have enough faith. You've got to have enough faith for it to happen. But it will come to you. And so that comes out of this passage a lot of times. And then sometimes we try to develop a, a Harry Potter magic formula. If we just do it this way, and if we pray fervently enough, if we have just enough faith, then we're going to be able to harness the power of God and, and let's just move mountains. And I would just caution you with that type of thinking. I think the reality, the big picture of all the scriptures is uh, that the Lord doesn't move that way in our lives. He does do the impossible. And there's things that we're just blown away by his power. But you always find that it's in line with his will, isn't it? It's not this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to muster up and it'll benefit me. Big picture is what is it that's benefiting the kingdom of God and what's going on? Have faith in God. Basically, be dependent on Him. You see, the Jews and the disciples also, they really looked to the temple. The temple was their centerpiece. They put their faith in the temple. It had become the place of faith rather than in God. The place of sacrifice for sin. All of their faith was going towards the temple and all that was going on there. That's Jeremiah's, part of Jeremiah's prophecy and speaking to that. You're putting all your trust in the temple here. Have faith in God. What Jesus brings to the table and he's teaching his disciples 
Again, he rides in humble king, king of peace, a kingdom that doesn't look like we expected. He turns the tables upside down, and and what he's really doing is he's turning upside down what relationship with God looks like. Okay, Peter, you see the tree withered. Have faith in God. Keep depending upon the Lord, I think he's saying. And I think he's thinking about his future disciples as they're going to go out and minister, as they're going to step into all kinds of things that are painful and hard and difficult. Have faith. Be dependent upon the Lord. Trust in Him. Don't trust in your temple. Trust in Him. I want you to see me. I want you to understand this kingdom that's coming, that has arrived. It's going to be a difficult journey, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. What does it look like to have life and power in Christ? To have faith in Him. It's having faith in God and all that He's doing, dependent upon Him in prayer. And it's a, it's a prayer that requires forgiveness and, and faith. Living in the will of God is seeking Him in prayer. And the Lord is going from this place as He's teaching about the fig tree and what's going on and teaching them to trust Him more is I want you to learn to to trust and to enter in to the will of God. Ask. Ask this in my name. Ask and you shall receive these things. If you say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and have no doubt in his heart because he believes what he says, it will happen. Ask for anything in prayer and believe you have received it. I think one of the things for our prayer lives, so he's teaching them about, I want you to have faith in me, not in the temple. I want you to have faith in in all that I'm doing in my new kingdom. I want you to enter in with me I want you to see me for who I am. And I want you to enter into a prayer that has a real belief that that God can. A belief that God will, if it's in His will. If it's in line with His kingdom. Big difference, right? Versus, I just want. Are you praying the kingdom? Are you praying the bigger picture? Are you entering with the Lord and saying, Lord, I trust you for for what you have here. And I want to follow and I want to enter in to your kingdom work. If it's done. Faith is the fuel of prayer, really. And here's, here's the interesting part. And again, this is the part that gets a little challenging. Well, how how do we how do we cast aside mountains, right? What does it look like to be one who prays? well enough where mountains are cast aside. Sometimes in the scriptures we see this where mountains represent uh, obstacles, things that are oftentimes insurmountable, don't they? And we see that in the scriptures. And so sometimes you go, okay, is the Lord saying, hey, you have enough faith in me, uh, we, you know, we're going to get over these mountains together. And there may be some truth to that. There really may be. And I think that's a valid argument. 
But there's a, there's a prophecy in Zechariah 14 that's really interesting. So Jesus is, is at the... Jesus is at the fig tree. He just came out of Bethany. And Jesus is using physical, present examples around him. And so he uses the fig tree. I think he's speaking about, actually, a mountain that's nearby. And I think it's, it's, it's the Mount of Olives or Olivet, this kind of sequence of mountains. And in Zechariah 14, there's an interesting prophecy there that speaks about the kingdom of God. And what happened in Zechariah 14, he says... Listen, the Lord Almighty, on the day of the Lord, He's going to show up and the King will return. And He will stand on the Mount of Olives and it will split in half, tumbling one to the north and one to the south. And the Lord will be King over all of the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and His name one. Remember, it's Zechariah who gave us Zechariah 9 that spoke to Jesus last week. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous, having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey. This is what I think it's getting at. See, this isn't just some random prayer for what you want. It's not some frivolous throw out to the Lord. It's praying that His kingdom will come in all of its glory. It's a prayer that His will will be done, right? We sang that this morning. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Pray in such a way that Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Isn't it interesting that the only thing that Jesus is asked of by the disciples is, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like this. Pray for the heart of the Father, of the kingdom, joining in to His kingdom life and its fulfillment. You see, there's a harnessing of God's power for his kingdom life. And yeah, it can get rid of mountains. It can do the impossible. Because there's a new king in town who wants a new relationship with you. And he wants you to understand he is looking for that relationship with you. The temple and Israel offered nothing but death. They weren't drawing near to God. He wants our desires being shaped by His desires. Our prayer is attentiveness to God. And He wants, he wants our life to be lived out in the heart of the Father. And look at that prayer that follows. Pray for this to be moved. Pray that it will be received. I want you to live out in the kingdom life of God and what He has to offer. You know what God has to offer for every one of us? Forgiveness. What's one of the things that keeps us away from God when we don't seek forgiveness? Everything about the Lord is that He brings forgiveness. He died for sin on the cross. Forgiveness for our sins. Be a people, a praying people, a people of faith, a people who are seeking forgiveness as the Father forgives you as you forgive others. Be a people who are seeking that. Because you see that people were going to the temple being shut out. 
And if the people of Christ are not a forgiving people, then they will not see God because God is a forgiving God. Let us be a people who are bearing fruit, that we pray believing that God's doing His great work. Well, let me just conclude with these thoughts. How is the hunger of Jesus satisfied? I think His hunger is satisfied when our eyes are open to the real kingdom. Again, that we're going bigger picture. It's not just about Cole Community Church. There's so much life of Christ in this whole world. What do you have, Father? Help me to see you. I think His hunger is satisfied when we start to live in this new relationship, this new covenant with Jesus Christ. It's not about just checking off the boxes. I went to church today. It's about life in Christ. New covenant. It's not a transaction. Look, God, here's what I did for you today, so therefore I should receive. That's not new covenant living. That's not, that's not life in Christ. That's just a bank transaction. I gave you something, give me something back. That we start to understand our new temple life. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. That we enter into a life of prayer, seeking His will. We enter into a life of forgiveness. God, who do you want me to forgive today? And God, forgive me for my sin. I do not want to be separate from you. We enter into a life of obedience. Remember Samuel 15? I, I, hear, I hear these goats out here. I don't, I don't delight in your burnt offerings. I be- delight in your obedience to me. It's better than sacrifice. And that Jesus is satisfied, his hunger is satisfied when we're bearing spiritual fruit. That's remaining in the vine, isn't it? And, and the fruit of him, peace and joy and patience and kindness, when we start to bear these things. And Jesus comes and he takes of that fruit and oh, he's so satisfied. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning that you are satisfied, pleased with us. And Father, this morning we ask your forgiveness as a body of Christ. Forgive us for our sin, Father, against you. But we thank you, Father, that you died on the cross for our sin and that you rose again and that you offer forgiveness and that you cleanse us. And thank you this morning, Father, that you cleanse us our sin. May we be a forgiving people so that people may know you. May we draw closer to you, we pray. In your name, amen.